0: grow our hearts, God, that they actively want to please you and to serve you and to seek you because of what you've done for us, something that we could never accomplish on our own, um, but solely by your saving grace, God. And we thank you uh, for your love and for your mercy. God, give us ears to hear, hearts that are soft hearts that are open to the word that you've given to Pastor Joe today, Father. We thank you for this time, we thank you for this place, and we thank you for grace in the name of your son. Amen. So, <laughs> during the first uh, series here at Grace Life, we were talking about what the Grace Life looked like, and we were using the example of Paul's relationship with the Philippians. And one of the ingredients in the grace life is a church that is vulnerable with one another. So as your pastor, I just want to um, example that for you. So it's a pretty rough week for me. I was feeling overwhelmed, discouraged about a lot of things, some church stuff, some business stuff. So a lot of stuff was kind of coming along at the same time. And this morning, it all was kind of hitting me before you guys got here. And I was getting discouraged. And, I'm, you know, I'm not usually the guy who likes to sit in a dark room alone, you know. And I was doing that today, and then Pastor Daryl came in, and I grabbed Daryl. I said, Daryl, I need you to pray for me this morning because I'm really struggling. And he did. And nothing helps you get your mind off stuff than a worship series service that starts off with singing about the eternal throne of God. And that was really good, man. Thank you so much. That was excellent. Um, and with that in mind, we're turning to uh, our next message in 2 Corinthians, and it's called Day of Hope. Which is pretty, uh, I think God did it on purpose this week. Maybe have a bad week so I could preach this better. Uh, what we're going to talk about today is one of the most mistaught, misunderstood teachings in Scripture. A teaching that is so flawed that it creates unnecessary fear and anxiety for many Christians when in reality it should be incredible comfort and joy. Remember what we've been discussing the last couple of weeks in our series. We just talked about thriving in affliction and how we have endurance because of the work of Christ in our life. And Paul says, can famine keep us from him? No. Can destruction, death, disease, hunger, nakedness, none of those things. We are all these things. We are more than conquerors. And he talks about all those things and and he goes through and he explains about how we can, in the midst of affliction, thrive. We're still hurting, we're still grieving, we're still wounded, but we can thrive. He talks about how we have these temporary tents that we dwell in, that we live in, these bodies that are temporary and they're, and they're facing, he says, we are facing death all day long but that he is preparing for us a more permanent dwelling. And he says, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, works for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. For we don't look at the things which we see, but the things we don't see, because the things we see are temporal, but the things we don't see are eternal. That was from chapter 4. So what he does today in chapter 5 is he continues this narrative, this painting, this picture of the temporary versus the permanent. So let's just read the passage for today. He who has prepared us for this very thing, the eternal, just just so you remember, that's the whole flow of this. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, the temporary tent, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage. And we would rather be away from this temporary tent, this body. And we would rather be at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. That's why I always pray, may Heavenly Dad, may what we do bring a smile to your face. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Uh Uh-oh. It was all so good until we got there, wasn't it? (laughs) So that each one may receive what is due For what he has done in the body, Uh uh-oh. Whether good or evil, uh uh-oh. It was all going so well this morning until that, wasn't it? (laughs) Like what we do here at Grace Life, we like to look at three applications of each passage. The historical, what about man? What was going on with him? Why and how did he do what he did? Then we look at the theology, what about God? Why and how did he do it? And then the devotional, what about me? What am I supposed to do? So let's talk about the history this is an awkward transition, isn't it? <clears throat> I mean, think about it. After teaching about thriving in affliction and the spirit man's supernatural ability to endure this hardship on earth call, through the something called grace, this thing that weighs us down, not only other people's sins, but our own. He talks about thriving and enduring and keeping your eye on the pro- All those things. For some reason... And it's a natural flow. He says, now I have another topic. He doesn't do that. It's almost like he's talking about the same topic and he goes right into judgment. He moves on to the theology of the judgment seat of Christ. Why in the world would Paul go here? I thought he loved them. (laughs) Like I could see... You know, the whole book of 2 Corinthians was supposed to be encouraging and warm because they had been confronted on things in 1 Corinthians, and they had responded well, and they were repenting, they were changing, they were transforming. You would think that the time to bring up judgment would be in 1 Corinthians when they were practicing immorality and bad-mouthing Paul and, you know, and um, adulterating the gospel and all these things. You would think, by the way, you know, you're going to give account. To me, it seems like... You know, as a person who likes to manipulate guilt out of people, that would be a better place to put it. I mean, the whole tenor was supposed to be warm. What do you guys think about the timing of this topic? I mean, in the end, is this, are we supposed to believe this is some sort of fire and brimstone parathetical statement right in the midst of this, of these two chapters about encouragement and moving on and just, you know, remember what Paul was doing. He was defending his authority as an apostle and defending the gospel. Don't let other people mix in works with the gospel of grace. That's what he's doing in 2 Corinthians, and he's talking about how great the gospel is, about how it's by grace, through faith, and not by works. And don't worry, he has sealed us. He has done the work. He has given us a spirit as a guarantee for that day. And then in parentheses, oh, by the way, you're going to be judged for your works, good or evil. Is this, supposed, is this some sort of strange parenthetical insertion? <clears throat> it would have been much better in 1 Corinthians, maybe. I mean, how do you think the Corinthians responded to this? Paul, I thought you were liking what we were doing. I thought you were happy with our progress. Remember, they had fallen away and come back. Remember who Paul was writing to? He's writing to non-Jewish pagans in Corinth who had become Christians. It was a distinctively Greek city with an intimate knowledge and passion for Greek culture. So with that in mind, I want to talk about what Bema, that's the word for judgment seat. It's used in this passage, Bema. The idea is in ancient Olympics, Greek Olympics, where a judge would sit on the Bema seat, the judgment seat, at the finish line of a race. The first Olympic Games were from 776 B.C. to 393 A.D., so this is well within that range of where the Olympics in Greece were very big. So every Greek citizen would know about the Olympics. They loved athletics, They loved competition. They loved the idea of of battling for a prize. So, most pagans would be very familiar with the Greek culture and the word bima and understand that it meant the end of a race. In fact, this idea of finishing a race or enduring to the end is all through Paul's epistles. He talks about it in 2, uh, 2 Timothy 4 7, and 1 Corinthians 9 23 to 25. He says, Run the race good. And, and he talks about the idea of finishing the course, finishing the race. And he is actually referencing in this idea of a bema, a judgment seat, the end of a long, arduous journey. Doesn't that make sense since he was talking about thriving and enduring affliction? He's saying, you can make it through, and at the end, there's this judgment seat of Christ. What? So today, though, as we go forward, whenever you hear me say the word judgment, I want you to have a different perspective. I want you to think, oh, finish line. Don't think, bad, good, yes, no. Think Finished. That's what I want you to think. Can you see how this would flow seamlessly with the previous chapter about enduring persecution? Can you see that? When you think of it as a finish line in a race, it's much easier to understand the context of thriving in affliction and enduring persecution. Okay, so let's look at the theology. Why does God judge Christians? (laughs) You understand, like, so when I was a young Christian, uh, you know, before I became a recovering Baptist, when I was in a Baptist church, I always heard this idea about, there's going to be a judgment seat. Yes, you're going to heaven, but there's going to be some pretty rough times before you get there. Why would God judge us? I mean, isn't the whole point of Christianity that, first of all, we're not capable of any good on our own? I mean, aren't we depraved? We can't even choose God on our own, and now we're going to be judged? Why would God do that? Doesn't the scripture teach us that our righteousness is like dirty, bloody, filthy rags? Our righteousness is like filthy rags. I mean, isn't the whole point that Christ died so that we could escape judgment? Isn't that the whole point of the cross and the grace and gospel and and the mercy of Christ is that we can escape what we really deserve? Isn't the whole point that Christ takes his righteousness, puts it on us and takes our unrighteousness and puts it on him and says, I am the guilty one. They are now the innocent ones. Isn't that the whole point of Christianity? If that's the case, right? I don't think anybody's arguing that with me here today. If you are, you're wrong. (laughs) If that's the case, why in the world is God judging Christians? Is judgment Of Christians in conflict with salvation and sanctification through grace? See, this is why understanding history and theology in a passage is so important. This is why teaching book by book, chapter by chapter, and verse by verse is far superior to to topical sermon series every time. Because, see, you get a completely different application of this theology of the judgment seat of Christ if you understand it in the context of all of 2 Corinthians. I mean, if you just go to 2 Corinthians 5, verses 5 through 10, that's not good. That's scary. But if you go to 2 Corinthians 5, 5 through 10, after you've gone through 2, 3, 4, and the first part of 5, then it gives a whole different light on the judgment seat of Christ. Many times people just go, hey, I'm going to preach on the judgment seat of Christ, 2 Corinthians 5. You can't do that without preaching first on 2 Corinthians 4. You can't in good conscience, as a pastor, teach chapter 5 without a thorough examination of 1 through 4. Yet many do. So let's talk about what God does. I want to talk about judgment day preparation. Paul outlines first how we are prepared for that day, and he does it in this passage. First thing he says is, he who has prepared. Who is he? Who is he talking about? Talking about Jesus and God. And what has he prepared? Anyone? Us. He, God, has prepared us for that day. That's the first thing that God does in judgment day preparation. He, Jesus, prepares us. Then he gives the spirit as a guarantee. What is the guarantee? How does it work in context with his teaching on the judgment seat of Christ? Wait a minute. He's preparing us for the day of judgment. And he gives us the spirit as a guarantee. And then we go to the judgment seat of Christ? What is that guarantee? The guarantee is that we will be prepared. Then he says, listen, here's what he does. He talks about the judgment seat of Christ, and he says, He who is prepared has given the Spirit as a guarantee, and we are always of good courage, he says. Let me ask you a question, church. Does impending judgment give you good courage? It will if He is your guarantee. And your preparation. And why must we appear before the judgment seat? How many hear that phrase and get cozy? Ah, judgment seat of Christ. Man, I can't wait. Notice who is doing the preparation in this passage it's not the Christians. It's the Savior. So let's talk about the devotional part of this. If grace, why are works even an issue? He says, your works, whether good or evil, done in the body. If grace, undeserved favor, why are works even an issue? I'm going to explain to you uh, the role that works have in our salvation. They do have a work in our salvation process, and I'm going to explain it to you. The first verse I'm going to look at is James chapter 2.18. This is, by the way, it's going to get you a little bit uneasy, but don't worry. I'm going to flip it around and explain it to you. Here's what he says in 2.18 of James. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Then James says, show me your faith apart from your works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. Uh Uh-oh. Then James 2.26. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Is dead. What James says is, if you have faith, you better have works to show for it. Otherwise, your faith is a lie. It's a scam. Now, I know this is confusing, but don't worry. We'll bring it all together in a few minutes. So clearly, <clears throat> what James teaches is, listen, if you have faith, if God has given you faith, which is what, people? A it's a gift. If God has given you the gift of faith, you will have works that show that your faith is real. Because faith without works is not really faith. It's religion, if you will. So, the first thing I want to talk about is our works. Our deeds will prove that first, our faith is real. See, why would God say redemption through faith, and then on judgment say, no redemption for you. Come back one year. Seinfeld reference, for those of you that are smart enough to know. Well, why would God do that? Why would God say redemption through faith, which is a gift, through grace, and then on judgment day say, not good enough? See, the first thing that happens is our deeds will be proof that our faith is real. That the fact is, our faith, which was a gift given to us, has created for us an area in our life that spawns off good works. That James talks about. You know what else our deeds show? That our lives have been transformed. See, what happens is, what the judgment seat does when it looks at our deeds that are done in the body, what it does is it proves the fact, number one, yes, there's work, so the faith that you were given was the real one. And number two, look at what you were and what you are now. There is no question that there has been a supernatural transformation in your life. You know what else our deeds show? This is my favorite. That Jesus did a good job saving us. That Jesus is not only a good Savior, and that most of us will stand up to judgment okay. You know? Matt, you're all right. Pastor Joe, eh. Eh. See, Jesus doesn't bat 750. Not only is he a good Savior, no, no. He's the perfect Savior. So what I just explained to you is basically my favorite passage in all the Bible. It's kind of like the linchpin for my whole theological mindset, right? For by grace you've been saved through faith, and it is not your own. It is the gift of God. See, I didn't make it up. It's right there. (laughs) Not a result of works, so that no one may boast or brag. For we are His work, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And I like to kind of give the King Joe version that we trip over. Who's doing the work? Even the works that you do, they are a result of the work of Christ. For we are His work, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which, by the way, have to happen if you have faith, which is a gift, which God prepared before you were even born that you trip over. How good is that? And so when you begin to understand the concept That faith without works is dead, but real faith will have works prepared, those works prepared by the one who saves us. Not only is my salvation not of me, but my sanctification is not of me. It's not of me. I get all the benefits of it now and at the end of the race, but it's not of my own doing. See, my salvation is owned by faith. And my salvation is shown by deeds. I didn't mean to rhyme, but it ended up that way. So I'm going to take credit for it. (laughs) The purpose of of the judgment seat is to declare the product of the finished work of faith and the salvation of God's people is evidenced by their deeds, which who created beforehand? Wow. I mean, just let that sink in for a minute. He, another quote from Paul, he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it on the day of salvation. That's the theology of the judgment seat of Christ right there. It's actually more of a determination of the work of Jesus and the Holy Spirit, who, by the way, was our guarantee then it is our ability to muster godliness on our own power. Otherwise, you wouldn't need Ephesians 2. I mean, think about it. Do you really want your preparation for the judgment seat of Christ to be on your shoulders? Or would you rather it be on the shoulders of the perfect Lamb of God? See, only when you understand that concept can the day of judgment be turned into the day of hope. Philippians 2, 12 and 13. Therefore, Paul wrote this. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not, as, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, he says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Fear and trembling doesn't mean that you're afraid of judging. It means be in awe. Of what God is doing and let your salvation do its thing. Don't be afraid of Heavenly Dad unless you tried to steal his car. (laughs) For it is God who works in you. Now, church, is it possible that Judgment Day was meant to be something for us to look forward to? Like Salvation Christmas? I mean, if my depravity is evident, on Judgment Day. It doesn't uh, serve to condemn me or embarrass me, but it serves to further exalt Christ. You could save that. Wow. It's an opportunity. This is what I felt a little bit this morning as the band. Understanding what the Day of Judgment, the Judgment Seat of Christ is for Christians, understanding that it's a result of a judgment of Christ's work and not ours It's an opportunity to send us into a worshiping frenzy over how stunning the work of Jesus is in our life. Can you see how grace makes judgment day a day of hope? A day of comfort? It's like that feeling you get before a test that you have studied for and you know you're going to ace it and they allot an hour for it and you say, I'll be done in 10 minutes. I'm going to get a latte. (laughs) I got this. Filling in the bubbles, I'm done, boom. It's like the feeling you get, if you've ever experienced this, the feeling you get after the joy of winning a championship. As a coach, I've had an opportunity to coach really good teams and really bad teams. The really good teams were a lot of fun. I remember the first time I ever won any type of championship. It was a middle school basketball championship, a city championship with about 25 other teams. And we were about 500 through the year and we caught fire in the playoffs and we won. And the last seconds are ticking down on the clock in the championship game. And the team and I, we ran together in the middle of the court. We're jumping up and down. We're excited and we're just thrilled. We've just reached the finish line and the scoreboard, the BEMA says we won. That's what the BEMA is for us. The scoreboard will indicate a championship, a victory. Except this time it won't be because we worked so hard, but because Jesus did the work for us. So, just a couple more things. The judgment seat finishes the work of Jesus with a final declaration at the BEMA. The judge sits at the finish line. The finish line seat of Christ is an example or a symbol that the work of Christ is finished with a final declaration. Yep, he did what he said. He's delivered you complete and righteous and perfect and whole to Heavenly Dad in spite of your depravity. As I look at the evidence... It is very evident that my son Jesus did all the work necessary to save your souls and fill you with tremendous, amazing, good works. Man, he did a bang-up job of saving you, man. It's a vindication of his excellent work in our lives. I mean, I imagine it'd probably be a lot easier. They could save a lot of time, if they just say, look, here's what we're going to do. We got the judgment seat thing. We're going to start with Pastor Joe, and if he can get in, all the rest of you are clearly okay. (laughs) Just start with me. I'm through. Everyone else is done. Man, that was a good race, Jesus. Your work has paid off. The evidence, my son, is overwhelming. Your church is redeemed. So as faith resides in and transforms your life, you can see the judgment seat of Christ as a victorious, thrilling day, not a day to cringe or fear. See, this is what the grace life feels like. Anticipation of seeing the judge, not in fear, but in excitement, that grace is greater than all our sin. And it's not fear. It is unbelievable anticipation. Heavenly Dad, thank you so much for the day of hope that you are right now, even as I speak, preparing us for. You're sending us the Spirit as our guarantee You're locking in the results. You've created good works before the foundation of the world that we trip over so that we could enjoy the fruits of faith, which is a gift, which does have works, but you even get the credit for those. We are so thankful, Heavenly Dad, that we as your children don't have to live in fear of that finish line because you did a bang-up job.